Welcome to Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about our beloved series, Star Trek. Great. Now we're recording. Yay. And we're awesome. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back on another exciting episode of Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about Star Trek, f- currently focused on Next Generation Season 4, Episode 12. 12, yep. I believe, which is called The Wounded. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> And I uh, have to clear my throat there. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, we talked about Drunk Space Nine on the previous episode, and we're going to talk about Drunk Space Nine again only because this is a Cardassian episode. <laughs> and <laughs> and Goldie Scott would be very uh, remiss with me if, uh, if I didn't mention uh, Drunk Space Nine. But one thing he hates is that I clear my throat a lot. So, audience, if you, if it annoys you as well, I apologize uh, in advance because it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, Sean, um, for this episode, are you mentally prepared to do the episode? I am not. (laughs) I I will, I will prepare myself to do a next one at at some point. All right. So, um, episode summary. I'll check out, I'll check out the episodes that follow and and see what one I want to do. I think, (laughs) I think if this is like, uh, if you consider last episode, uh, Keiko and O'Brien's wedding, this is the honeymoon episode because, uh, it starts off with them and a little discussion about replicators and, um, Keiko seems to, uh, let's be fair. Let's say they've already had their honeymoon and this is just kind of, this is the settling into their, no, because that's, they went to Riser or something. They went to some sort of, some exotic planet. This is them settling into kind of life at home. Well, Sean's humanity forces us to give them uh, a honeymoon, so this is weeks later. <laughs> but it does follow their arc, which is interesting. They have this kind of two-episode story going on. Yeah, it's true. Um, and so we really do get O'Brien kind of burst in. And not only that, uh, we've seen O'Brien since day one, but this is the first episode where he is the and you know we saw this on uh, Mary Alpha but he is like the lead of the episode basically like he he has a a, a moment uh, uh, you know in the spotlight quite a, and a quite a nice quite a nice moment um <clears throat> Anyways, we start off with uh, with them, and then all of a sudden the ship starts shaking, and we realize we're under attack by the Cardassians, and very quickly uh, it's established that apparently there was a war going on with the Cardassians for many, many years. Uh, Sean, do you happen to know how long the Cardassian War lasted? Oh, God, absolutely not. Oh, okay, so that'll be an interesting thing for us to find out. Um, but anyways, the, the Federation's been at war with the Cardassians for a number of years, uh, and, you know, Captain Picard even recalls uh, a mission on the Stargazer, his previous command, uh, where he had to run from the Cardassians. But things go differently this time, where the Enterprise very easily uh, outmatches the uh, Cardassian uh, warship, um, mm. <laughs> commanded by Gull Masset. And played by Mark Alemo, who later becomes uh, a regular on Deep Space Nine as Gold Ducat. Um, but anyways, uh, we meet the Cardassians for the first time, and they um, 
they're interesting they're interesting uh, looking uh, species they're very in- they're very interesting because they're new uh, and uh, as memory alpha pointed out also they're they're pretty much uh, you know set up to be like the Romulans and the Klingons like a formidable opponent to Federation you know the Federation they are the new way. big bad guys Mm-hmm, that's true, and they actually, you know, as we know, they continue on to Deep Space Nine, and then we lose them in, in Voyager, of course, because totally we lose them. everyone. <laughs> we lose everyone. <laughs> well, except the board. <laughs> and some might argue we lose Star Trek. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like so far. I like Voyager. What I've, what I've seen about Voyager so far is all right. It's not. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, Anyways, uh, what's happening is the Cardassians inform uh, Picard and crew that um, there is, you know, what what the F? Like, I thought we had this pre- peace treaty, and now one of your ships is going around attacking our ships and destroying them. And uh, Picard, of course, is, like, baffled by this, and then we realize that um, there's a rogue captain out there, Captain Benjamin Maxwell, and he's... Uh, He's got it in his head that the car and and we find out rightfully so, of course, because the Cardassians are devious. But he's got it in his head that the Cardassians are doing more than scientific research at one of their facilities, and he's trying to expose them. But he's going about it in a way that uh, is going to uh, potentially destroy the peace between the Cardassians and the Federation and plunge them right back into war. So Picard's been ordered by Starfleet Command to uh, avoid war at all costs, and that is exactly what he does. He uh, is actually, you know, gives a commander, a captain... Um, uh, Maxwell, uh, a, you know, a surrender or die scenario. Well, anyways, uh, one of the, you know, interesting things is that Chief O'Brien's previous command was under Captain Maxwell. So eventually to try and save the ship, you know, the, the crew of the, um, what was the Nova class starship's name? Do you remember? Oh God. <laughs> I like it. That's the worst thing about it. Um, the phoenix (laughs) yes so the phoenix's crew to help you know to to prevent that disaster from happening they they conscript o'brien to plead with maxwell and it works you know at the end he finally uh you know does surrender and uh is shamed unfortunately but um there's that really cool scene at the ending uh, between Captain Picard and Gull uh, Masset where he basically says, "Yeah, you know what? To you, Amazing. he's he's a, to you he's a nuisance, but he's one of the most decorated captains before this incident, and maybe you know um, we cannot dismiss him. Yeah, we cannot dismiss him." Perhaps we shall pity him. <laughs> you know, it's like Wait, that's, that's it. Yeah, but yeah, but that, but then he goes and he tells the Cardassians, like, well, okay, so you know, now that now that that whole situation is over, how do you explain the uh, jamming frequencies coming from these research uh, cargo ships yeah. and like you know, that are putting out these high energy uh, frequencies and things like that? We'll be watching With you. Your- and- Research colony, you know, so close to three Federation outposts, you, you sneaky bastard. And so uh, Captain Picard basically says, we'll be watching, and Gulmaset looks like he's literally taking a crap in his pants in that moment. <laughs> and uh, that's it. That's the, that's the whole episode, right? Did I get it? Did I- yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
I'll just say that this was a pretty good introduction. Um, I'll start off by saying that it was a pretty good introduction to both the Cardassians. It was a great way yes. to see another um, uh, starship, starship captain. Although I have, I do have, <laughs> like, like it, like you kind of noticed something about the previous episode. I noticed something that really annoyed me about this episode, and I'm wondering if you caught it. Um, <laughs> and okay. and I also liked uh, that O'Brien. Um, we got even more uh, depth to his character by learning about what mm. his previous command was and learning about the Battle of Setlik and, you know, the kind of trauma that he had been, you know, through and so on and so forth. And It uh, does add quite a lot of depth to his character. Yeah, and then it introduces this war that obviously was never mentioned before if this is the first time that we're seeing the Cardassians. So it's an interesting thing that the show is doing by kind of, which the show's allowed to kind of do, I think, because, like, you know, relatively speaking, the Enterprise is on a peacetime, um, you know, mission. And it sounds like this war was kind of very contained to just this small sector of space because they even refer to it as the Cardassian sector. So it's not well, quite... Well, I have like, it here. Oh, Lo- good. Location, <clears throat> Federation Cardassian border. Uh, so so it was officially it went from the 20... It went from 2347 to into the 2350s. Oh, wow. Um, and so they say that smaller skirmishes not officially considered part of the wars continued into the 60s. So that's ma- 2360s. So maybe that's that's referring to maybe what happened with Picard, etc. Yeah, exactly. Like these little. But other than that, it went from the 40, like from 47 to the 50s. So we'll say from minimum three years to maybe five. Um, Federation Kardashian border. I like and that you just that, said Kardashian, like the... Oh, like, goddamn, Kardashian border, sorry. Uh, but they should do so a Star, says, Trek, uh, Star Trek show called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It could be like a, a comedy, though. Oh, like, God. Like, <laughs> no, 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 let's not, let's not do that. Let's not fall that low. Gold Ducat, does my butt look too big? Sorry. <laughs> Gold Ducat's, it could be Gold Ducat's daughter. He could be. I'm sorry later, to tell you all, we've and, lost Sean. He's he's just left the podcast. And wait, and later on, Gold Ducat goes through a sex change or a species change and turns human. Oh, he goes through a species change, right? A species change, and he actually becomes human. I've always felt like a Klingon at heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that we went there, let's bring it back. <laughs> I wouldn't watch that. I. <laughs> that was one of the Star Trek shows that I would not watch. <laughs> the line must be drawn out. <laughs> no further. Very, very good, sir. Very good, Absolutely. Sir. <laughs> um, but sorry, I interrupted you with my with my crazy idea. Please continue. No, that was it. Uh, they say the location um, was the Federation Cardassian border. So, I mean. It's, it, it must be a, a, reasonably, a reasonably contained combat or war, mm-hmm. if, it, if you can call it a war. You know what's interesting uh, about... Uh, strategic uh, stalemate says Federation yeah, so. uh, f- creation of the demilitarized zone. So I suppose a kind, kind of like a, a neutral zone. Yeah, and, and the, situation the closest there. thing we have... in currently, uh, the, the most famous demilitarized zone is between... Uh, North and South Korea. 
so I think it, you can imagine something like that um, in space and much grander. <laughs> much grander. Um, I'm curious. Uh, let's look up really quickly what Federation space looked like. TNG Federa- um, galaxy map. I wonder if there's anything like this. Because, you know, uh, they have to have it. Here we go. Let's see. Let's just see what I can, Google I can send you a map of, 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 of Federation space if you want. Do you have one handy? Like a really good one? I I have, uh, yeah, I suppose. I just found, like, the whole galaxy. Yeah, oh, no. well, you've got Federation blue, and then you've got the Roman and Star Empire green, Klingon Empire red down the bottom. And the Cardassian Union is that red thing oh. uh, to, the, uh, to the left there. Let's open this email um, up real quick here. And so the demilitarized zone is... Uh, is kind of the bumper between deep Cardassian space and the Federation. And, um... I just got a text message asking if my cat was in this room, and he's not, so I'm going to let them know that he's not. Mm. Um, if you have a look, if you have a look, uh, there's a, a place called the Badlands a little above Oh, that's where Cardassian Voyager Union. gets lost. Yeah, and... Right b- below that, there's Cardassia, and right next to that, there's Bajor and Deep Space Nine. Oh, right so that kind of gives you an idea um, of where where those things are. An idea of where all of that's happening. Here's something. Uh, yours hasn't come in yet, but here's something I found on Google that's interesting. This is the entire galaxy, so it shows the whole entire thing. Okay. And so you can see you can see here. There's like unknown regions of there's like vast unknown regions, even in the Alpha Quadrant and the Beta Quadrant. So that's yeah, like well, here's the thing. I, I always theorized that... Okay, this is just me having fun in my mind creating creating canon for a story that doesn't exist. But <laughs> between the Romulans, so the Romulan Star Empire and the Borg... I, I would say the Borg aren't that pushed into the Beta Quadrant, but whatever. Um, I always imagined that the, the Romulans had some sort of spatial anomaly that they couldn't cross... And on the other side of that is another race. And that race have been fighting off the Borg for generations. Oh, wow. And so that's why the Borg have never spread into the Beta Quadrant. Because they've always been held back by these other guys. But these other guys haven't been doing it to protect us. They're just doing it to protect themselves. Well, Guinan must And the reason why the Romulans... Go on, sorry, yeah. Yeah, I was just saying the reason why the Romulans... Uh, wouldn't necessarily know about that is because there's so much spatial disturbance and what have you that they, they, they can't explore that way. So they kept on going towards the Klingons, and they kept on going towards the Federation, etc. Nah. That makes that's a lot me. of sense. That's an interesting... That's a cool idea. But, like, Guinan's... So if this is the limit of Borg space, like, you can imagine they're making, like, excursions, you know, some, and we find out, obviously, in Voyager how they're able to do it. They have that technology or whatever. But, yeah. um... Transwarp conduits, inter- is that it? Conduits, yeah, exactly. But the interesting thing is that Guinan must be from somewhere in these like unknown regions that the Borg have like made these like skirmishes into. Yeah, it's very very interesting. Um, look look at how massive Borg space is. I know we we started out. So here's Federation space. There's Bajor, and there's the Cardassian Union, as you said, and then the Breen are right there. Ferengi Alliance, the Romulan Star Empire, the Klingon Empire, the Gorn. Um, the Sheliak conglomerate, which we've already met in Next Generation, gets all of, 
all of this like area here and then there's the Tholian. So it's Okay, like, I'm going to be honest. I don't think that map is very accurate. Oh, gotcha. There's the the one here. Let's see if you're The Klingon Empire seems too I mean everything seems too high compared to the Federation and I'm basing this because the the the, the map that I have uh, I keep on consulting it when watching Discovery, and they're essentially making the map that I have canon, ah. because they're using this map as a reference uh, for the show. Oh, I gotta see this map. Alright, let's stop this screen, screen sharing, and hopefully uh, yours I will come in in a second here. Yeah, you probably could. If you look up at the on the left-hand side, do you have the chat and then the little green arrow screen share thing? Do you have that? Uh, do I have that? So, chat. There's chat on the left side bar or whatever. <laughs> Here's a lesson in yeah. Google. Do you see a little green screen share thing? I've got a smiley face. Choose links. Let me see if I can enable it for you. Uh, sorry, guys. We're trying to figure out Google here. <clears throat> oh, wait. Here it is. Screen share. Oh, great. You found it. Share. And then present to everyone is what you want to hit. Oh, I'm sharing your face <laughs> at the trippy. moment. Okay, so there we go. Oh, that's cool. So, and you can zoom in; it's pretty, pretty good. So, essentially, this is the separation between the Alpha Quadrant here and the Beta Quadrant here. Romulan Star Empire, Klingon Empire, Cardassian Union. Ah, okay. And so, we have. The Badlands here with Cardassia, Deep Space Nine and Bajor right here. And this is what we wanted to talk about. This is the Demilitarized Zone. Oh, okay, I see it. You have to talk for it to go back to... Oh, here, maybe oh, I can... Oh, sorry. I, can, I might be able to command it. <laughs> command! <laughs> anyway, yeah, no. So, I mean, I, I always theorize that maybe um, around here... This this kind of unexplored place, or, or place that we don't necessarily know about—not necessarily maybe this close, but maybe further out—there is um, something going on that's that's blocking the Borg's kind of advancement. That looks like um, a poster that I need to have in my room. It's very cool. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, whether this is a hundred percent accurate or not. Um, but it's pretty dense. But, There's, and it, I like that it's also done in the style. Uh, yeah, you know, more absolutely. or less of, uh, of how the L cars might display it. I will say this, though. When you take a look at this kind of place here, uh, this kind of map, you will uh, recognize from the way they've been presenting Discovery recently. Yeah. The, I, the, the right. Federation have, Klingon yeah. borders resemble this a lot. Uh, Kona's being here. Yeah, that little vignette uh, right there you've seen on the show on Discovery a bunch of times, actually. Yeah, this this little thing here. So, um, yeah. And interesting to note, for those that are wondering and for those that are watching this on screen, Soul is here, so that's us. Uh, and everything is really close. Andoria is here. Um... Vulcan is really not that far away. Vulcan is here. Andoria Vulcan and Teleprime is very close as well. Interesting, fascinating. Every th all of these these four founding members of the Federation. Uh, uh, is that it? Tele? 
Yeah, Teller's there. So, there we go. Journey to Babel. Babel is there, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, all of that takes place in a very small kind of... Xerilia. All of that takes place in, in, in a very small um, place. And... Makes, I forgot. Makes sense, because Enterprise, with its uh, only Warp 4-capable vessels... Sona... Baku, Briarpatch. Oh, look at I'm that. Just, I'm just naming <laughs> things that people recognize now. Where's the Expanse? Um, the, well, I know it's not there anymore, but like, where would the Zindi... Does it have Zindi Prime on there or anything like that? I don't think so, but I think... I don't know. I had them somewhere... Was it the Horomic Cluster that they went into? Or? Oh, might have been. Or it could have been... Uh, also, they, they do go to Rigel. Or is it Risa? Riser, yeah. So we can at least see how far that is, that was. From but there. I, I, I complete that. I don't know where it is. Oh, okay. Interesting. I, uh, I must know at some point. But I just don't remember. <laughs> It'd be cool it. if they had a program or a website where you could search, and it would just like instantly take you to the point on the like kind of like Google Maps, but like a fake, a fake one. Okay, for so the, this is a huge <laughs> tangent. This is a huge tangent. But I really do, I really do hope that one day, I'm gonna stop sharing this now. <laughs> um, I really do hope that one day Star Trek as a whole, be it CBS or Paramount, just Star Trek as a whole, really get their stuff together and try to map out the universe and create like an interactive map um, on, on the website and really make it fun and interactive for the people that want to, you know, get into this. You could have um, clips associated, like you could click on Risa and it would show you. Like all the episodes that take place on all the shows, it could yeah, it could uh, show you a like, panorama view, of, uh, panorama view of, of of you know a city or a, a, a land, whatever landscape. If we've seen that, uh, um, if we have really any developers in my twelve uh, <laughs> audience out there, <laughs> jump on it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I do want to take a moment. Uh, I guess uh, to uh, to say that um, uh, we're we're well into the new year. I should have done this last episode, but I uh, want to say thank you. Actually, we have had a new subscriber, so it's actually thirteen people now <laughs> that listen to the show. So, uh, but thank you to everyone who listens and everyone who writes in. Um, and you know, I I am I am. Um, a person who also has a full-time uh, job, so this is sort of like you know something that I do as a as a passion and a labor of love. But um, I do try to answer as quickly as possible. So if you don't hear from me for for a few days, please don't get upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's that. And so yeah, lots of gratitude. I'm so excited about Star Trek. Um, what did you? What else did you love about this episode? Like, or did you not love this episode? Or, and can I tell you that scene? Oh, now? I love this episode. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Tell me the scene. So I'm the, intrigued. I was just a little disappointed that we only meet Captain Maxwell from the crew of the um, Phoenix, and we only see his ready room. Um, yes. It, you know, so and and it looks kind of CG, like it doesn't really look real. And why would the 
dedication plaque be in your ready room? It's supposed to go on the bridge, and so <laughs> yes, um, know, that, I, was, that I, was my I, only the only. I love this episode. But the only gripe with it was the, just that like it felt like the production uh, could have gone a little further the, and given us a little more. Especially there was a general had other issue. Bridges. <laughs> yeah, no, there was a general issue in 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 kind of TNG where um, when we see another captain or another you know sh- we hailing another ship captain comes on screen you don't have a, a bridge view you don't see uh, the helmsman and the first officer you see like kind of a just a, a face this, shot of the right yeah. here <laughs> that's all you see yeah. you, you have this essentially skype call with a guy <laughs> with a, a blank background and i understand that's that's budget wise and to, I'm going to go back into Discovery. I understand why they why they di- decided to go in the disri- direction of hollow communicators for Discovery, so they don't have to deal with that. They don't have to create a sit or CG a sit behind a guy with other people. Just have a guy walk around on your bridge. Um, but it was really awkward to see it in the ready room, and I did notice that. Okay. I did notice that it was in the ready room, and I was like, eh. The fact that we only see him... <laughs> and not the crew. I'm okay with that. Um, often, often we we find ourselves with only the captains left alive, and everyone else is dead. Um, <laughs> but th- this was just so like fun. the crew; they're doing their own thing. The protagonist or antagonist is this captain here, right? Um, however you want to see it, uh, or the confused war veteran. Um, he's the only guy that we, we need to focus on. So it didn't disturb me that he was the only one we saw. The ready room was weird. Captain um, Picard would never speak to someone out out of his ready room. He would, that's not what he does. I mean, I mean, he does it only like when he wants when he's talking to an admiral about something like. Yeah, but you're you talking. Know, like, you, you've yeah. got confidential stuff going on with like a, a superior officer or something. Yeah. I guess in a way, one could argue that like maybe Maxwell was keeping his own crew in the dark as to what where he was getting the orders from maybe he hadn't told them that he's gone rogue and so in that in that sense like that makes you sense can, you can kind of have him you know like that's why he's going to his ready room and everything but yeah. i'm just saying even with that that makes sense he, he wants <laughs> to keep everything as official as possible uh on the bridge and with his crew um and having these kind of communications going on with picard and anyone else would would kind of i suppose sh- show that he's 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 not right um yeah like that he doesn't in his have choices all. or in his head right and well and, and he isn't because he's not actually sanctioned but see you could as a captain you could tell your crew that you got a top secret order from starfleet command to do this and there's really nothing yeah no no, no one no one else I mean, who, who can checks and balance that you know like even yeah even I mean, on this show like the crew trusts him uh, you know to they're hunting the phoenix right and that's an order from you know starfleet command and Worf actually kind of challenges them in that one scene where he's going to give i like the reference to the prefix codes because we learned about prefix codes in star trek uh the wrath of khan and so like in this episode you can see that that's still something in use and like you know that scene where he gives the prefix code although it's useless because the cardassians apparently don't have <laughs> superior firepower um but he <laughs> it was like it was like i i also loved uh by the way i, I did like the tactical readout 
on the the view screen where it showed even though it was a very simple display yeah. with just these dots and the you I, know, I, I don't like the fact that the dots explode they should just disappear <laughs> it's kind of cheesy to, <laughs> why would you have your dots explode like make it entertaining right but there, there is a lot of tension in that scene just watching yeah. these dots follow each other and you just see the face of the Cardassian just decomposing like oh my god they just like they destroyed six they killed 600 people they destroyed our warship yeah it's really and well now done. they're going after these and he's he's got this whole thing with their civilians like this is just a, a, a small transport ship right. of what whatever it is um and it's another 50 people gone and even in picard you see this worry like oh my like, god <laughs> like what's gonna happen what are we it's in true. you know what are we getting ourselves into now? It's it's a great scene. It is a bit cheesy that it explodes, but um, but well done with the tension, the tension building. Yeah, and, no, absolutely. And, and everything, and yeah. yeah, granted, it's it's simple graphics, um, but that just goes with you know when the show was made. Yeah, it's totally and true. And that's fine. That's just aesthetics. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Uh, not that bad. Um. So, according to Memory Alpha, also, this was the very first appearance of the Nova-class vessel, which is kind of, uh, interestingly, mm. going back to Star Trek II, uh, the design is similar to the Reliant, but now it's updated to this kind of um, uh, the next-generation style with the oval, you know, saucer section and the, the nacelles being, you know, the way that they are and and so on and so forth so i thought that was cool and i liked the configuration that it had like kind of like these like you could tell that it was like a vessel that had like uh amazing sensor capabilities because they had that whole big triangle on the top that you can imagine is just like you know space radar mm. <laughs> so pretty cool there again i don't think it would have been uh it just would have been uh, i to me you know i'm I'm writing this episode with another ship and I'm like, oh, it's a chance to show another ship. Like, it wouldn't have been that hard to redress the Enterprise's sets because you can imagine that the bridge is probably similar to the Enterprise, just like on the Yamato, but they could put like kind the saucer of... section is... What's that? The saucer sections are similar, aren't they? Yeah, they're like almost exactly the same. So, it's so like... you, you could imagine the interior is, to some certain extent, the same quite similar yeah quite yeah. similar it's true so um, it wouldn't have been that hard but anyways regardless i think despite that and of course obviously with budgetary constraints it still packs a wallop and it's still a really uh, great episode um and captain my, um, maxwell reminded me a lot of our uh captain lorca in a sense like i wondered if uh mm. you know if there wasn't something uh th- if if captain lorca isn't like a maxwell type of captain you know that you know we'll find out of yeah. course we're gonna find out very soon uh <laughs> as discovery comes back on january 7th like you know uh because there is some mischief going on for sure in with captain lorca so we'll find out very soon what he's up to hopefully and then you know maybe it'll just it'll be out of control <laughs> um, um i like that scene I'm where gonna... oh go ahead sorry no, 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 you go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, one of the things I liked was the actual meeting of the two captains, uh, and it, what a contrast, like, they were, and I, <laughs> I like where they're having that discussion in, in, in Picard's uh, ready room, and you could tell Picard's, like, trying to, like, 
he's he's genuinely like what the hell are you doing like he because you know max was saying all these things like oh it's like you know because the cardassians are this how do you know that what you know where did you you know he goes yeah. i had to act now and he's like why like you got this yeah. intel, you got this amazing intel like what me why did you have to act right now like why couldn't this be something that like got taken to the admiralty and like you know uh, like a, for, a more formal diplomatic solution and so you know it is and you screwed ma- this up for all of us yeah you're like couldn't really you think about this like Mm. And then, like most bullies, uh, Maxwell resorts to that line where he's like, smells musty in here, like a bureaucrat's office. (laughs) (laughs) But I like that. I like the delivery on that line. And I like the way he says it. He's just kind of, yeah. There's a kind of dis, like a a disgust as as he says it. Picard, like, uh, what have you become? Like, I thought you were an active captain going around, but you're just a bureaucrat. I like it. Picard has the best last word, though, because he says something. What does he say to him? He goes, um, oh, uh, you're you're a fool, Picard. You're going to go down in history. Uh, yeah, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but you're going to go down in, in history as, uh, as a fool. And Picard says, I'll accept the judgment of history. <laughs> like, he's very confident that he's not going to go down in history as a fool. You're the fool. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that was like an awesome moment. Um, we, I, you know, we know what a brilliant actor Patrick Stewart was, but I think he did, like what you said, he had a great actor to work off of in this scene who was like really yeah. kind of like uh, doing that. And uh, I like. I really scene. need to praise everyone's <laughs> acting in this episode. Yeah, yeah, super good. Uh, something that definitely stands out. Um, on Memory Alpha, it was mentioned that the song that uh, Captain Maxwell and O'Brien sing at the end uh, is uh, a song that was sung like in some skirmish or battle in the 1700s. Um, but it, I recognized it when I saw this episode because I, it's it's a song that's. Uh, prevalent in uh, the movie The Man That Would Be King and if you haven't seen that film you should check it out it's pretty entertaining it's Michael Caine and Sean Connery uh, in their younger in their younger days um, but um, but yeah the song the song sung in that and apparently one of the production uh, executives uh, also knew about that and, and was like really happy that the song was in the in the episode um but I, I like that scene, too, because it was a good way to kind of show, you know, like it did show that these two men, uh, O'Brien and uh, Maxwell, had had seen a little too much war. And like uh, the other scene that I liked um, that kind of ties into that is like there's the younger Cardassian who's like really like into the peace thing. Like he's like, yeah, let's make it happen. You know, like let's go drinking in 10 forward and stuff like that. And O'Brien's just like a total... Uh, jerk to him. <laughs> he, he's like a veteran that snaps. Yeah, totally. He snaps. He's like, um, you know, he's like, if my commanding officer tells me to, you know, tell you everything I know, I will, Cardassian. But don't ask me to have a drink with you or something like that, you know. And but then he has that very kind of uh, deep scene later on where they're at the bar, and you know, he kind of he apologizes for for being that way, and then he has that line where he says, uh, you know. It's not that I hate you, Cardassian. It's I, I hate what I became because of you. 
Right. Yeah. It's. I love that. It's so yeah. awesome. Super heavy. It's too. It's really like, great. Yeah. And and it's yeah, I know the the writing <laughs> is really good. Yeah. And that continues on to, and you know, I I don't know, I haven't done enough research, or I don't, I wouldn't even know where to find this kind of information, to be honest. But I'd be curious to know if like the seeds of DS9 weren't being planted all the way back here, because I don't think DS9 airs till like next season, if I'm not mistaken. Season like, six, even. Or season six, yeah. But like, yeah, you know, like it's interesting, like the kind of, you can look at these episodes. You can, if you're a DS9 fan, you can like totally put these episodes, the last, the previous one and this one, into like an extended viewing, you know, like a prequel sort of viewing yeah, session. The DS9 verse. And then, the of DS9 course, you- <laughs> the, yeah, and then, of course, you get the Bajorans and you get Ensign Row later on. And uh, mm. so, yeah, there's going to be a lot more to do with the Cardassians. The Cardassians actually in TNG are, are one of my favorite additions to TNG. And and you know of course they become more more um, sh- fleshed out in Deep Space Nine, but I do like the way they they fit into this, and I did enjoy them as as uh, as uh, adversaries for for Picard and and company. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what. This is the first appearance of the Cardassians, and uh, I think it's one of the greatest first appearances that Star Trek has had. Because now that I've rewatched the first appearance of the Borg, mm-hmm. kind of underwhelming. Um, yeah, they're the, scary. The episode where Q sends them off to, to yeah. meet them, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, they're scary, but you don't really feel the menace. You feel more the kind of asshole nature of Q <laughs> yeah. uh, in that episode. It's more of a Q episode for um, sure. Because I think, it, yeah, you, yeah. I don't think the Romulans. Pl- the first time you see them in, in TOS, it's kind of like, ooh, they look like the Vulcans. But then you're like, you're not really. Uh, the Klingons, uh, again, the first time you see them, it's kind of underwhelming. You get a bunch of them on a planet, but nothing really happens with it. It's just Kirk saying these things like, they do this and they do that and they do this. But then oh, it's that episode really with, the, with the, those guys that... Was it, oh, darn. Diffuse the situation <laughs> and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, was, what were their... They had they're powerful somehow, right? Like it's been a long. They time are since powerful, but yeah, they 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 they're an enterprise as well. Technically, yeah. canon wise, they're an enterprise before they're in toss. Oh, and that's gotten... why they took human appearance. Uh, I haven't gotten um, to that episode yet, so that's good, exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, season four does a lot of good things. Uh, an enterprise, but yeah, I mean, th- and the Ferengi. Let's not talk about the first appearances of the Ferengi, which, which was th- t- they rebooted the Ferengis within the show. Yeah, they're an embarrassment <laughs> to the Ferengi. It's true. Um, <laughs> so I think the Cardassians were. Yeah, sure, he's got that facial hair that looks a bit awkward. Well, it's the fir- um, you know, I mean, it's. A, but it's, I mean, everyone's allowed to have their own facial hair. Yeah, and like this is kind of um, like one of those things that like is interesting about watching a show is that like you realize that even uh, from a production standpoint, like characters can evolve because like Romulans didn't really have ridges kind of on their heads before, you know. And yeah, then, I still can't figure that out. Like, but. Yeah, it's like kind of a strange thing that happens, but you know, and and this is like you know going back this is the other argument on you know the the klingons and discovery um there's many people that are just arguing that like hey just accept it because it's a production update it has nothing to like what klingons look like is not as important as what they represent um in in the the klingons and discovery don't really represent what the klingons represented 
No, that either. Moving You're on. right. It's true. Um, <laughs> there's there's more problems. Cardassians. Just the way they look. It's true. <laughs> the, the Cardassians in this Cardassians. episode, I think, were, were really yeah. good. Yeah, and I I thought like the the little helmets that they wore were interesting because like one could imagine mm. that they their tactical displays and that they use them to pilot their ships. I was wondering about like what the use of them was, but of course we never see this again. So it's just you know okay. again an anomaly. So this here. isn't something. This isn't something that I, I'm going to say the episode did wrong because the I mean they chose to go with one design and as you say they kind of abandoned that that helmet or kind of tactical display or whatever you want to call it they abandoned that later on. What I would like is fine. The production team have decided that that wasn't a good idea. It didn't work very well. But maybe in at least one episode later on down the line, you try and redesign that. You try and reuse it, rework it. And they use it once more, so that you kind of have a, co- a coherence between uh, two episodes in different moments in time. It's kind of like, because at this point, it's like, the first time you see the Kardashians, they have this on their head, but then they never have it again. Or Why? Yeah. Or it'd be funny if they could do, like, an in-world explanation where, like, maybe Quark sold the Cardassian Empire these defective visors that he claimed would help them. Also, with, they, with, like, they, they could do something yeah, like that. Like, where, so that you but could put you, a humorous twist on it. And then it, you at have the least same there's, thing like, a, with them. like a, an explanation that's kind of fun. Uh, you know, but again, how much do we really need that? <laughs> I don't know. It just yeah. It just adds to the... It to the universe, it. I think. Yeah, but true. the the first time we see the Romulans on on TOS, um, so because they didn't have that much budget for the ears, because uh, the ears cost a lot, only the main Romulans have ears, but all the others have helmets. That's right. Um, That's never right. See, never see the helmets again. N- n- not a single Romulan ever wears a helmet. Although again. their haircut kind of resembles. It NTG. does. They have this kind of bowl helmet haircut, haircut but they never the wear helmets ever again. And it's true. It's, it's true. It's it's a shame that you know. I mean, TNG's years later, they could try reworking this. They could say, "Hey, look, maybe just once we can try and put a helmet on these guys, see what happens." Um. The the I don't the, know. I think it's an interesting way to do things. It just helps tie in certain elements rather than have like, oh, it was just the first time we did it. You know, that's what they look like. The Ferengi is, is going to be... The, they did that with the Ferengi because in Enterprise they gave him that whip. Oh, um, that's right. And they had to move around, not necessarily on all fours like they kind of did in, in TNG, but they had them more... So they kind of transitioned that, which was nice. That's cool. I think that, like, again, um, you know... Maybe we'll get this like mini series that we talked about. <laughs> this, Starfleet Boy's new mission is a TNG mini series. <laughs> Make like, it so. It's like what they're doing with um, <clears throat> this DS9 doc, which I don't think it's come out yet, right? I've been out of the loop. Uh, no, they're working on it, I think. Yeah, so the DS9 doc. Uh, promises to give us kind of like a little uh, glimpse of what a, uh, an eighth season of Deep Space Nine would have been like, um, mm. which is kind of neat. And so, you know, I think it would be awesome if, you know, rather than doing that, like, you know, hey, it's totally something that's happening in TV. Like Larry David, for example, do you know the show Curb Your Enthusiasm, Sean? Nope. 
Well, there's this really funny show called Curb Your Enthusiasm with uh, with Larry David, the writer of Seinfeld. He had, he had his own show, and oh. it, it ran for like seven seasons. You know, it had a full, nice seven-year run. Uh, and then uh, it's like ten years later, he's doing the eighth season. You know, so it's like... I think Star Trek could do that. TNG could totally pull it off, and then maybe we can get an eighth season of DS9, and the eighth season of Voyager, and a fifth season of Enterprise. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and if you're gonna go back to the past, why not just continue these shows that already have you know these like huge followings? And I think it'd be neat to do that. So that's our new mission on Starfleet Boy for the New Year's. That's our New Year's resolution: is to get the idea out. For a Star Trek The Next Generation miniseries. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's all I'm, I'm looking at my notes because I have notes. Oh, you have notes on this episode. Good. I have notes on this episode, but I didn't really. It's a great episode. Honestly, it's, it's, it's an amazing way to introduce the Cardassians. It's an amazing way to introduce the war. And I think all of the performances are great. Um, I have I have written down costumes look cheap, so that's which. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That that that's the Cardassian costumes. They kind of look like uh, I don't know paper mache with the, cardboard well, boxes underneath. No, there's definitely times where you notice them, but not like in a way that like, oh, that's like really cool. I think there's like moments where I thought that looked like they're made of like foam rubber or something like that. Yeah, it, like, it, it does it, look like you know it's true just boxes stuck on somewhere they are um, they are a cool alien though because they do have enough alienness where you're intrigued by it. like i found myself like really examining their faces oh you know what there is that one moment so interestingly enough you have the one younger attack you know the uh, interestingly enough gold ducat comes aboard with like two members of his crew and i can't mm. remember what their ranks are or anything like that or even if it's dated but um there's the young guy that drinks with with O'Brien, um, who's a little more optimistic. And there's the other guy that gets told off. Who's Yeah, he's a little more optimistic. But the other guy seems to be kind of like Captain Maxwell. You know, he's on the Enterprise and he takes this opportunity to, like, go and sneak around. And, and, and he gets caught <laughs> in that one scene. And I, But I think he was genuinely... Sorry, well, I didn't you hear, cut off the... He, he, oh, sorry, you think he was genuinely what? Uh, I think he was just genuinely trying to figure out how it works. Cause isn't he the guy that asked questions about the transporter uh, at some point? Oh, maybe he is the I guy I think he's just technologically English. inclined or interested in, in how the tech works. This is true, but it could also be that... Knowing the Cardassians as we do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gul Gulmaset may have actually put him on that mission. And so when he gets caught, of course, he has to do this, like, in public, you know, where he, like... Oh, wow. You, you know, went even further than me. Yeah. I thought it was just, like, the goal was, like, nah, whatever your motives were, whether they were innocent or not, like, you shouldn't be touching that console and you're making me look bad, so... Right, but maybe it was more like... Go to oh, your room. Yeah, you got caught, so now I'm going to... You know, I'm gonna like, oh, masquerade as like a yeah. I'm gonna reprimand you in front of the federation mm. here, but like in actuality, it's just a failed mission. You know. <laughs> oh god, I, I wish I knew what the writers were thinking when they wrote these episodes. <laughs> I know there is. It's interesting that like you can see both of those perspectives, and like you know, 
you know, it's, I think it's like the mark of good storytelling is that there is enough uh, ambiguity where it counts, like where you want it to be kind of fun to have like open, open uh, ended things like that. Um, an- another thing, uh, this time we read stuff on Memory Alpha first. And I don't know if I like it better or, or not, because now we're just talking about stuff that we read on Memory Alpha. But regardless, <laughs> it's an interesting thing that was uh, posted there was that um, the director um, made an observation that the episode aired during the Gulf War. And uh, it, w- it was an interesting counterpoint to the I, during the Gulf War, it seemed like we were doing everything, the United States at least, was doing everything it could to get into a war. And here, Captain Picard is doing everything he can to prevent a war. So, you know, I thought that that was a pretty interesting, like, um, historical moment about this episode that it aired during the Gulf War. I had no idea about that. And I saw mm. it. So <laughs> I must not have. <laughs> I was very young when, when TNG first aired. I was still in my uh adolescent you know early adolescence and and you don't really think about wars the same way at at that age that you do uh when you're older and you you uh, become aware of your mortality a little bit more (laughs) wars are cool when you're a kid (laughs) which is a very scary Uh, idea and i wonder if it has anything to do with why people who are young are the ones that go to war um we should send our our elderly to war. I think wars would be much different, and and fought differently if it was. If they would end in card games and and uh, and drinking. I'm not <laughs> sure that would be a widely accepted um, kind of point of view. There, sorry, we should Gra- send our elderly to war. Sorry, yeah, Grandpa. Like we, sorry, people that Grandpa. have already done all of their lives, they just want to relax. They don't want to like, necessarily want to go to war. <laughs> Sorry, Grandpa, I mean, you're 65. You have to go and fight in war now. <laughs> yeah, war has changed. You're not going to get trench foot anymore. Fine, but... I mean... Just something to think about, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, the next episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> Maybe we can try and not, not do war anymore. That I like that nice. the best. That is the actual best uh, solution to it. Um, well, I think that covers every everything about this episode is there anything else in your notes that you had no no no. it's just uh, an overall great episode yeah. it's one of the episodes that i really like i think the tension works really well all of the performances are very good um fine i do I, I mean the costumes look a little cheap but uh you end up looking at their faces as you said a lot more than you look at their costumes and the the faces though they aren't the final Cardassians that we come to know, right? Um, th- they are very intriguing as the first time you see these aliens, and they do look very lizard, kind of cold-blooded. Absolutely. Um, and they are very intriguing. They are, uh, as as Memory Alpha says, <laughs> they are they are kind of elitist enemies. They they don't stay quiet, or they don't grunt, or they're not just a hive mind. Right. Uh, they kind of talk to you and they have their own ways of, right. of thinking and they can challenge Picard uh, mentally. Gold Ducat graduated at the head of his class too at the you know the Cardassian mm. Academy of whatever, you know, the Obsidian Order or whatever it's called. And, <laughs> um, like, yeah. and this, this, whole, um, this whole story about this captain which is unable to adapt to the new world, which kind of resembles Kral. Um, oh, from beyond, yeah, and and another or Edison. Another, well, Kral yeah. was different, but Edison 
as explained, said he couldn't he couldn't adapt to, that's really to life after that you the war. Up on that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and also Star so Trek Six. We mentioned this in our off-camera discussion, but yeah, Star Trek Six Captain, also Captain, Captain Kirk. Picard. Captain Kirk. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Captain Kirk says like he's essentially a racist towards uh, Klingons. Sorry, Klingons. He says I Klingons, Klingons killed my son. Killed my son. Klingon bastards. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, Klingon no bastard. It, <laughs> okay. It's uh. <laughs> I think it's a great episode. Actually, in that, really yeah, it, yeah. So it it references it, and I like also that it makes the Star Trek uh, and the Federation not quite as like tidy and like you know perfect as uh, as it often seems mm. to be. Like there are these like you know differing viewpoints and like rogue captains. Um, it, I've always thought that a great idea, and I don't think it's been done yet. And maybe this is something we'll see. Um, you know, since like, uh, you know, television fiction borrows from cinema and other great things, you know, as as this does to because um, uh, they say it was kind of based on Heart of Darkness, which is what the film Apocalypse now is based on. Um, <clears throat> I would love to see like something like The Hunt for Red October in space, <laughs> like a, a cloaked vessel heading for like a Romulan like a, a very strategic mm. Romulan vessel heading for Federation space and all of Romulan, all, all the Romulans are trying to hunt it down before it gets there. And then you have like kind of a story like that would be a neat, a neat thing I think to see in Star Trek, but very interesting. Yeah. I think so, Star Trek is at a point where we can, we can be experimental. I think now we have the format, the base format of Star Trek, which uh, I think it would be nice to have that base format constantly. It would mm-hmm. be good to have an optimistic, very simple, episodic show that that has a like a seven season run, mm-hmm. which all of the the hardcore fans and just people that want to sit down and watch one episode um, can watch. But you have like these mini series, uh, these movies that go in in completely different directions and try new things um, within the world of. Of, of Star Trek within the universe of Star Trek I would love to see a TV show about Belana and Tom Paris just living on a planet uh, <laughs> just um, driving like he's the pilot of, of, a, of a spaceship in races and she's fixing and engineering on the spaceship and that's it that's kind of fun yeah they're just they're just doing that, and there's you got these illegal gamblings that are going on, and the Federation has to deal with that, and maybe they have kids that get up to shenanigans. That would be awesome. A, sh- a show that's really good at doing this, and I think Discovery might incorporate this into its future seasons, is uh, in Doctor Who. You have like, of course, the main episode, but then, and this was done a lot more during the previous uh, incarnation of Doctor Who, the eleventh, the eleventh Doctor, where you would have uh, web episodes that were some of them were like 15 minutes 20 minutes long that would just kind of fill in these like little gaps and like follow oh. follow like storylines that like that you know what's that well, the walking dead's been doing that as well Oh, okay excellent so i think that there's no reason i think that that kind of thing only enhances a show and i think that like it gives your audience the satisfaction it deserves i don't i, I think that like you have to be careful <laughs> with that though is why because you think that? Yes, you can enhance your show by kind of creating uh, more depth. more story and yeah, exactly. But 
often you find yourself these considering these are just like free little things that come out on the internet they they don't have as good um, directing or writing or often acting you find yourself with kind of subpar performances and subpar um, just well, again, that would be general? that would be a failure on the on the production team and the and the creators of the show because you cannot say that about those Doctor Who webisodes. When you watch them, okay. it's like you you're like seeing it. It's they're like quality, and the actors are and and there's one in particular that's a heartbreaking moment that's like so Ooh. important to this show, uh, oh, wow. and like and sets the stage for something in the future, and it's just the two actors deliver it just like beautifully and it's like it doesn't seem different from the only thing that seems different is that it's shorter you know what i mean like the and it's like a, so the doctor format. who did it right right i think doctor who would be a, an example to look at to follow and do it the way that they did it in my opinion i mean you'd have to awesome you haven't made your doctor who journey yet but i insist that you do battlestar galactica first but actually they did it too because battlestar galactica had uh, a web series that filled in a lot of the gaps and what's fun is that i think if i'm not mistaken i haven't watched it in a long time but the blu-ray box set incorporates all of uh all of it so you have all these like webisodes that had aired at the time and stuff like that um and by mm. the way i was wrong i told you to begin uh with the pilot which was in 2005 but actually battlestar galactica started in 2003 Four. i think with the miniseries, so you have to watch that first. <laughs> okay. wow. I, I'm going to be honest, I did try to start Battle, Battlestar Galactica at one point. Uh huh, uh huh. But considering I am one of those crazy nutters that has to see everything, um, <laughs> I was like, okay, so where do I start downloading this? And so I said, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going not gonna to be too crazy. I'm going to start from the reboot because it did that essentially 2004, whatever it is, it's yeah, a reboot. Yeah, yeah. But. As you say, I did figure out there was a miniseries before, and I couldn't find out where to get that. Um, I didn't want to start buying everything straight out straight away. If I very much enjoy a TV series that I have downloaded, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, you're not allowed to download. But if I, I'm if not I saying very, that this is me that's going to put this there, but there might be a little present in your cloud at some point <laughs> okay well I, I, I very much I, I make a point of saying that I do buy television series music etc that I enjoy it's just that often I like to watch it or listen to it beforehand I think it's only fair that makes sense um, and, and I, I think that that's the unofficially accepted uh, thing that even the studios understand because ultimately like I you know I, I'm not going to buy seven seasons of Better Stock Galactic if I don't like it. Or even right, one ex- season. Or even one season, precisely. And the thing is, is that like when you do love a show, you end up spending way more money on that show than anything. And so it is only in the benefit. Yeah. I think it's in the interest of studios to put out at least first seasons for free online somewhere. And some people do do this. Like you can, like, I think... Hmm. Uh, I think PBS has Downton Abbey available for streaming, but it's not as as oh, high wow. quality. And I'll use them as an example because I I I'm a huge fan of um, well, actually, Battlestar Galactica. Also, when it first aired on television, um, the show looks great, but there is a quality when you're watching it on Brad on broadcast, even where you know the cable can be interrupted or it looks kind of whatever but when i watched battlestar galactic on blu-ray it was a whole different experience like watching it again so it's a delight for fans oh, wow. 
who love a show when you do finally buy that blu-ray which i think is the ultimate mm. still the ultimate way is to get like an actual physical media because streaming services aren't quite there yet although itunes supposedly has the 4k thing now but you know who knows <laughs> but regardless um uh, watching i like it, to have um, my physical things yeah anyway. like and watching it on blu-ray is great and that's the thing is that what kind of upsets me about the whole cbs model is they're already getting my money to, to watch it on streaming and they're gonna of course they're gonna get more of my money uh to for me to get it on blu-ray because i'm gonna want to pause it and make sure that klingon ship is awful like i think it is <laughs> Klingon. so i guess let's uh let's get to rating uh the rating of this episode. I went first last time, so I'm going to insist that you go first this time. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> I'm going to give this episode an 8.5. I will join you, actually, and give it an 8.5 as well. So okay, well, 8.5 there you go. is all around. Very good. All right. Well, that was fun. Uh, Which uh, averages out at, uh, at 4. <laughs> As we all know. <laughs> uh. Of course it does. Anyway. <laughs> on 8.5 is the average, just to clarify. <laughs> on that note. For those that have fallen into the trap. Thank you, uh, uh, Sean, uh, for joining me again. It, this is a really fun discussion, um, and I look forward to uh, another discussion. Um since this is going to air later, I can't advertise what we're doing tomorrow, but we're doing something new and exciting tomorrow. So, so Ooh, stay tuned ago. <laughs> Timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly uh, for that. Anyways, live long and prosper, and we'll see you later.